Spiritual warfare, what is it exactly? Often, we recognize that we are in a spiritual battle, but it can be unclear how the enemy attacks or even how we gain victory. In this series, Pastor John Metter of Cross City Church shares insights into how best to prepare for and defeat the enemy. It's a war, but there is a clear winner. This is John Metter, and we're back with our Life is War podcast, and we're looking at number four right now as we walk through this Life is War series of episodes that help you have a spiritual battle with victory. You know we're in a war. You know we are. You're in a battle personally. We're in a battle in the culture as long as we're on the globe, on the planet, and before Christ comes back, we're going to be in war. We're in war because there's an adversary, because there's an enemy. We're in war because there is um, people. There are people who can be deceived and who will buy into the lies of the enemy. We're in war because your master, the Lord Jesus, wants you to progress, wants you to grow, wants you to stand firm in what he's called you to. So we're going to be in war uh, as long as we're on the planet. So it really makes sense to understand life from that perspective, that life is war. And um, and it helps us know what prayer is for. It helps us know what the spiritual uh, uh, armor that God gives us is for, and we've been walking through the spiritual armor. Uh, Paul, again, writing um, often from a prison where he was surrounded by Roman centurion guards, uh, knows with intimacy what that armor looks like on that Roman soldier. So he takes that imagery that I have reproduced in my office so I can see it from time to time and be reminded of the war. He takes that vivid imagery and paints a spiritual picture for us so we can see what every piece really stands for. And uh, I really don't think Paul is just telling stories or fables. Uh, He is giving us insight that is visual and memorable so that we can know what war is all about on the spiritual realm. So, last uh, session that we were together, we looked at the first three pieces of spiritual armor. And I want to review those with you just a moment by reading what it says in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read verse 10 and following again. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. That's what we're talking about here. So that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, we talked about the schemes of the devil and what we struggle against. Paul uh, said this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, that would be Satan and the, demo- and the demonics uh, who have fallen from heaven, uh, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. All those uh, bring up imagery of a whole army, some supernaturally uh, empowered as fallen angels, some deceptively empowered by those who are the proponents of these lies, all of them the army of God, I mean all of them the army of wickedness and darkness coming against the army of God and the truth of God. So this is a big army that we're facing. So Paul goes on and says, therefore take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm therefore having girded your loins with truth. That is all truth, Uh, truth as opposed to lies, light as opposed to darkness. That's living with integrity. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, that's that's your identity in Christ, knowing who you are and how Christ has made you righteous. 
And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that's the purpose of God in your life, standing on the purpose, the reason for which you are here. Um, and, and that ties into the gospel a great deal, no matter who you are. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, we'll talk about that, with which you shall be able to extinguish all the fire, flaming arrows of the evil one, and taking the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So those are the next three pieces of spiritual armor. And uh, again, I'm happy to repeat this over and over because I want you to kind of get this in your mind. The belt of truth is your integrity in Christ. It's what holds everything together. The breastplate of righteousness is your identity in Christ. The gospel shoes refer to your purpose in Christ. So you have this armor and now three other pieces that we're going to examine. So let's start with the shield of faith. As a believer, you have a shield of faith which is given to you. And the Bible says again, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. This is extremely practical. Above all is, uh, is a word or phrase that means all above over all. In other words, Above and beyond everything else you've already been given, you've got this shield that you hold in front of you. Now, I've got a reproduction of a Roman shield, but it's nothing the scope and size of what these guys carried. Uh, it refers to a shield that's in front of an actual Roman soldier that covers their whole body. The rails is the Greek word. It refers to the word oblong, and uh, it basically is a door-like shield, a four-cornered uh, slab, if you will, that represented a shield of protection to the soldier. Um, and it's completely covered uh, in leather or animal hide, many layers woven together. It's as strong as steel, but he had to keep it soft and not brittle. So the Roman soldier would rub oil on that shield regularly, and it would be damp and supple somewhat, even though it was very, very strong and able to deal with spears and axes and everything else. Uh, but in addition to that, because it would be kept somewhat moist with this oil, it would even absorb the arrows, even the flaming arrows that the enemy might send towards the soldier. So get that, if you would, in your mind. Recent movies have shown us big pictures of that and vivid imagery of that, so it really helpful. it's helpful to me to think about carrying that shield around. And, and actually, you don't want to be without that shield. Because even though you have a breastplate, that is designed to protect you, and even though you have shoes and greaves that uh, are designed to protect you, those arrows are coming for your core. They're coming for your stomach, for your heart. The biggest piece uh, of the soldier is what needs to be protected. Now, I'm an avid uh, shooter in the sense of I have a number, a number of guns, and I do a lot of target practice, and, and you're always told when you shoot a gun, aim for the core, aim for the core. Because when you aim for the core, you put bullets on the core, then uh, you have disabled that individual. It's, uh, it's the biggest target possible. It's also the one that has all the organs in it. So aim for the core. So I say that because that's what the enemies of the Roman soldiers did. They aimed for the core. Common sense. You've got organs beneath there that, that, that if you have somehow hurt those organs, this soldier's not going to keep marching. The soldier's going to go down, and you're going to move on and move forward. So the shield of faith was designed to protect the most uh, vulnerable 
part of the soldier itself. Now, the shield of faith, when it comes to the spiritual application, is your protection in Christ. It's your protection in Christ. It's the shield of faith. That is, your conviction of what is truth versus lies. It is your reliance upon the truth. It is your conviction and passion for the truth. But it is the truth that protects you from all the gouges and the stabbings of the enemy. And if you get the idea of this shield absorbing even fiery darts of the evil one, as the scripture says, and the fiery darts of an enemy, like in the Roman world, then the spiritual shield quenches the speculation and the lies of the enemy. Now with that, let me pause and open the Bible because in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3, 4, and 5 is another wonderful spiritual warfare passage that I will get to at some point. I consider this one of the most important few verses in my life when it comes to spiritual warfare, uh, having a soul that prospers, being able to have mental health in the right place. And here's what it says. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So spiritual warfare is what's in the mind of this. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Taking thoughts captive. Those arrows, those flaming, fiery missiles coming our way from the enemy are absorbed by this shield of faith. We're taking every thought captive, uh, and this shield of faith helps us do that. So again, the shield of faith in a spiritual way makes up the truth that God gives us that you have embodied with passion. You know this is the truth of the Word of God. And of course, faith is believing what God has said despite everything else, despite our feelings, despite culture, despite any opposition that we have. Faith is believing what God has said. That's the only way to make it through the storm, by the way, is to stand on something strong and that something strong is God's truth. So essentially, when it comes to you growing as a Christian and, and what the enemy is trying to do to get you to stop growing, to stop having momentum towards Christ or with Christ, when God tells you to do something, I promise you all hell will attempt to keep you from it. I can look at various stages of my life, uh, whether it be just understanding who I was in Christ when I was in high school and college, uh, understanding who I was to marry, understanding uh, that I was called to ministry, just like many of you are called to some specific vocation because of gifts or talents. Um, when it came to my marriage, when it came to my family, um, when it came to the way I was going to think, the way I was going to act, the way I was going to respond to opposition, how I was going to deal with adversity, every time God has called me to do something his way, the enemy has come against me. And that's why I've had to hold up the shield of faith over and over and over I'm standing on what I know is, by conviction, the truth of God's Word. I pick up that shield and hold it where it belongs, out in front. Out in front. Now, not only does this shield of faith protect me because it's out in front of me, facing the enemy, but it also protects those around me to a degree. One of my favorite movies when it comes to this kind of depiction is the movie Troy. And Troy shows all these soldiers back in that particular era, uh, using these shields and using these spears and swords, 
but they they would do what they would call a phalanx of shields. They would they would they would all crush down together and put shield against shield, side by side, and form an almost impenetrable wall. And they would hold it up to protect themselves and the person next to them. And sometimes the opposing marauding armies would come at them with everything they had, and yet this 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 uh, set of shields that were held up in this moment of battle protected the soldier and the one on his right and the one on his left and the one behind him and the one in the front of him because they held this phalanx together. And that just leads me to say the shield of faith is so important for your faith, but it's also important for the faith of your spouse, the faith of your children, your friends. Uh, and it's also another reason for me to point out the body of Christ. Our people together stand against the dark darkness and the forces of darkness and the shield of faith in all of our lives helps protect others. So, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. Now, I know that when it comes to what the scripture says about fiery darts and about things that the evil one, the wicked one, throw at us, when it comes to lies coming our way or just speculations or deceptions coming our way, there are not many weapons that we hear of not many ways to protect ourselves that we hear of apart from this shield of faith and apart from knowing the truth. That's the only thing that really battles the enemy when it comes to his lies and deception. So this is an incredibly important uh, piece of weapon. That's why it says, above all else, over all, be sure you hold this shield of faith. So the shield of faith is important to your life. And again, it is the protection that you have in Christ. Uh, and it's your conviction of truth that you hold up day in and day out when a spear or an arrow or a sword uh, of lies and deception and speculation came your way. Always hold up that shield of faith. So that's a pretty important piece of your armor, isn't it? The shield of faith. You don't need to deal with spiritual war without the shield of faith. So the shield of faith is item number four, if you will, in our spiritual armor. Number five in our spiritual armor is the helmet of salvation. It says, and take the helmet of salvation. By the way, in the original language, the, these words and repeat, repeat themselves throughout the passage. In essence, it's saying every piece of this spiritual armor is important. And take the shield of faith and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which we'll deal with in a moment. So it's not just anyone asked, well, not, not any one piece of this armor, but it's all pieces of this armor. So what is the helmet of salvation? Man, the helmet of a Roman soldier was incredible. Uh, the word in itself is a compound word. It means armor that wraps tightly around the head. Normally it was bronze. It was big. It had beautiful etchings on it, sometimes signifying previous battles, sometimes just aspiring to what was ahead, sometimes a family symbol. Um, but these big etchings on this big bronze, beautiful helmet, if you would, uh, always signified the strength for the Roman soldier. Uh, they were heavy. Uh, so this bronze helmet would be lined with a sponge so it would rest upon the soldier's head without uh, bruising his head because it was so heavy, so big. Uh, and it was so strong that nothing could pierce it. Not a battle axe, not a hammer. Um, and often... On top of this helmet, there would be a point or a mini spear up on top of it, usually uh, decorated in some way, 
uh, a plume might be behind that, but there would be a pointed, uh, there would be a pointed spear-like, knife-like thing on top of the helmet for butting. In other words, a Roman soldier could put his head down and, and ram that blade into a, 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 an oppositional enemy's body or head. Uh, so even it had a, an aspect of offensive weaponry as well as defensive. But it was overall the protection for the head. It was a point of frequent attack. When, uh, when you see fights today, whether it be boxing or fist fighting or uh, MMA fighting, man, you know the head is always the one that people target when it comes to their fists or when it comes to a knife or an axe or something. It's always the head because uh, while a bullet might protrude in the core, a spear or an arrow might protrude in the core, uh, a fist or a knife or a blade uh, towards the head is what's most common. And so this, this helmet was obviously protection for the head because of the primary attacks of the enemy. Now, in spiritual terminology, the primary attacks of the enemy correspond with what this phrase is in our spiritual armor. Take the helmet of salvation. And let me just say, the primary attacks of the enemy are against our salvation and our assurance of our salvation. Now, can I just say this to you? The enemy cannot threaten your salvation if it's real, but he can cause you to doubt it. And if he causes you to doubt it, which many do today, they doubt their faith and they take steps back and they cease following Christ. And that's how the enemy deals with so many today, by causing them to doubt their faith. If he can make us doubt, then we'll start trusting our feelings or we'll start disbelieving God. Then he can make us hesitate in the battle. And you cannot hesitate in spiritual war. If you think that your salvation is not real, if you think that it's not secure, then you're going to be bothered by that so much that you're not really going to fight the battle well. So the helmet of salvation is this. Get this. It's your confidence in Christ. It's your confidence in Christ. Because I don't worry about my salvation, Satan's primary attacks on my mind are not felt. And the reason is, I've got this big old helmet on me, and this helmet says I am secure in my salvation because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. Now, if you think that your salvation is secured by your obedience, then you don't even have a helmet on. Or if you think it's secured by some future acts that you can do for God, you don't have a helmet on. If you think it's secured by religion, you don't have a helmet on. But if you know that your salvation is secured by the blood of Jesus Christ, a clear historical fact, an act of sacrifice, that satisfied a holy God, and you know that's real, and you know that you have put your faith and trust in that, you have a helmet on. You don't have to doubt your salvation. You're secure in your salvation, and when you're under attack for that, you just need to go back to the moment where you knew you ceased trusting yourself or your religion or whatever else, and you started trusting Christ as Lord and Savior. Now for me, at 18 years of age, I was doubting my salvation. I came to faith as a young boy. I really began to doubt my salvation primarily because of disobedience to God. I just began to wander and wanted to be uh, seen as successful in the eyes of people more than being successful by following God. And uh, so I just began to doubt and I began to wonder, have I really been saved? Is this real? Or is this something my parents just told me and that I acted on? And so at the age of 18, I drove the stake. I heard somebody say this one time, that if you doubt your salvation, drive the stake in the ground. Make it an unforgettable moment. And I happened to be out in the field of a friend of mine. We lived in rural Oklahoma. 
And uh, I remember laying down in that field uh, and looking up at the sky as, uh, as it was becoming dusk and asking God, God, I know I've got a lot of doubts right now. And I do remember as a kid I made some decision. But I want to know, is that real? Is this thing real? Is my faith really in you or is it in something else? And during those moments laying in that field, God began to be very, very real to me. And he just, he came to me in that moment. Basically, I said, God, if, if I'm not really, truly saved, if I've never truly trusted you as Lord and Savior, I want to do it right now and drive the stake in this field and never again doubt. Now, I know where that field is. I've driven by it several times over the years. I don't know if the stake that I drove at the ground is still there, but that doesn't really matter because I drove that stake spiritually in that field and God was more real to me than at any other moment in my life. I knew that I had trusted him. Later on, I realized I trusted him as a kid. I'd wandered from him as a young man. And from that moment on, I could see clearly from that moment on. And I began to read and study and memorize passages that speak about truth and speak about salvation. And that was a real key for me. I never, ever looked back. Uh, today, here I am uh, in my sixth decade of life. And if you ask me, am I sure of that moment in time when I put my faith and trust in Christ, I would say absolutely 1,000%. I would stake my life on it. In fact, I'd stake my whole eternity on it because Jesus is trustworthy and I know I have that moment with him. So that's what the helmet of salvation essentially is. So I don't have to hesitate. So I don't have to wonder if I'm in God's good graces or not. That helmet of salvation tells me that I am and that he literally is behind me as I fight this war. When I was a young man, I had a football buddy who eventually became a middle linebacker in college and played professionally. And uh, I remember going places with this guy. His name was Cliff. And he was a pretty good friend of mine, a couple of years older than me. And when we went places together, I was more bold, maybe even a little bit cocky. I remember in one particular place, uh, I had been talking to some people from a different town, and they got a little cocky. And so I, I, I talked back to them, and I knew that Cliff was behind me and that he would back me up. And uh, at one point, I almost crossed the line. It was almost uh, fight time, and I turned around, and Cliff was gone. And all of a sudden, I became afraid. Because if Cliff's not there, I'm not going to win this battle. I'm not going to win this fist fight. Uh, it turns out that Cliff had just stepped away from the room. He came back in a few moments and everything was good. And nobody messed with me when Cliff was there because Cliff was one bad dude. Well, I, I use that story to help remind you that Jesus is one bad dude when it comes to spiritual war. And as long as he's on your side and you know he is, which is what the helmet of salvation is, you can face the enemy confidently. The helmet of salvation is your confidence in Christ. Is he with you? Then fear nothing. Fear nothing. You can face the battles and be victorious. And then the sixth piece of armor, not only the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, but the sword of the Spirit. I, I love this one maybe more than any other one because uh, I love collecting swords. And I have some swords that are there by that spiritual armor depiction, the Roman soldier uh, armor that I have. And this line in verse 17 of this text says, And the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, I've got a number of swords, as I've, as I've shared with you. And, and, uh, and as I did study about the Roman centurion's armor, I realized that these are not long swords that the soldiers would have, but these are the short swords. 
Uh, it was not a big blade in terms of length, but it was in terms of width. And the design of the sword of the Roman soldier was thrusting, not slashing. In other words, the point was not that you would cut somebody, but the point was you would stab and gouge the enemy. Sometimes the sword of the Roman soldier had a corkscrew crafted into the end of it, or an upturned point. The idea was a fatal gouge, that if you got somebody and pulled out the weapon quickly, it would bring with it some of the internal organs, which meant that the one who was stabbed wasn't going to live long. As a matter of fact, the, the short uh, sword of the Roman soldier was feared. It was a horrifying weapon to all of the enemies because of its destructive ability. Now, you can cut somebody with a long sword, and uh, they can still function, but you can't take a short sword, allow it to be thrust into your core, pulled out, and still function for long. You're going to bleed out in just a few moments in the sense of war. So it's this really brutal sword that Paul is talking about. Notice it's not your sword. It's the spirit sword when it comes to the spiritual imagery, the sword of the spirit. It's one he puts in your hands in the heat of battle. Now, the sword of the spirit is your weapon in Christ. Your weapon in Christ. If the shield of faith is your protection and the helmet of salvation is your confidence, the sword of the spirit is your weapon in Christ. And it's bigger than what you think it is. It's more powerful than what you think it is. Back when eBay was just getting started, one of my sons, Joey, uh, was collecting pocket knives and letter openers, small things that wouldn't hurt him. He was about eight or nine years old. And one day we were looking for swords on a brand new company called eBay. So that dates this thing a little bit. And uh, there was a picture of what I thought was a very short uh, depiction of a sword, more like a letter opener size. It did not give the dimensions. Uh, it just did not have a lot of type or print about it. And um, and the the bidding was low, so we, we bid eventually $9.95 for this little sword that I was going to get for my son, Joey. And uh, we got the bid, and um, so we, we actually won the auction. And $9.95 is what I spent, and I waited for its arrival. Some weeks later, my assistant in my office called me on a day that I was not in the office, and she said, your sword has arrived. And I said, I didn't order a sword. And she said, well, I think you did because here, there's a sword here. And it's in a box. It's big and long and heavy. And it, it has some depiction on it, on the label that it's a sword. So uh, I was thinking there has to be some mistake. So I went down there, and, uh, and sure enough, in this box with this massive sword, uh, almost four feet long of incredible steel, and it was sharply honed to the point where it would cut paper. And I looked at the sword, and I thought, this is so much different and bigger than what I thought I ordered. And I took it home and showed Joey, and he goes, wow, his eyes were open so bright. He said, is that mine? And my answer was, not anymore, it's not. <laughs> and the reason is, it's just too big for you. It's just too big for you. So I tell that story because I think you might be surprised by how big the sword of the Spirit really is for your life. Often when we think about the sword of the Spirit or the truth of God's Word, we think about, okay, the Bible, those words. I mean, I close the book of the Bible and those words are seemingly bound up inside that book. But I, I think we just forget how powerful God's Word is. And I think we forget how important this sword is. So what is the sword of the Spirit? 
which is the Word of God. Now, the Word of God here is not logos, which means the written word, even though the word logos is included in this meaning, but it's the word rhema, which means a spoken certain word. And it refers to a word that God would quicken or remind you of in battle. So it's not a general truth, but a specific truth for the need you're facing. Think about Jesus in the battle in the wilderness against the devil and the temptations. Remember that? And each time Jesus was tempted, he responded with a rhema word. Now, that rhema word is found in Scripture, but he responded with an answer from Scripture that was to the point at the moment. So my encouragement to you is look at what Jesus did when he was being tempted. And think about how powerful that is for you to know the Bible so well that when you're in the heat of battle, the Spirit will remind you of what the Word of God has said, and you're to use that to, to take captive thoughts, lies, deceptions, speculations that are attempting to disrupt your walk. That's what the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God is supposed to be about. And it's not hitting with the flat of the blade, but with the point of it. The point of it, and it's razor sharp in the Roman army. It's razor sharp in the spiritual army. Let me give you an illustration. I remember years ago uh, being very discouraged at that particular time in my life in ministry. I was pastoring a church uh, in Texas, and it just seemed like things weren't going well. It seemed like progress was slow. I know I was at a low point in my life, and I know that um, I felt a lot of opposition. I felt very alone. Sometimes we just feel alone. We just feel like we're all by ourselves, and we may be following God, but nobody else is running that race with us so far as we can tell in the moment. And that's happened to me several times in my life where I felt like I was pretty much all alone. I really appreciate when people run and run that race with you and are in that battle with you, but I felt at that point very much alone. And I was running uh, on a regular basis, and one day I was running up a hill, and I was tired, and and um, all of a sudden, I had a rhema word from God, meaning that God quickened to my mind a part of Scripture that I had read over and over before, but was not trying to think about it, and the phrase that came to my mind was, you have need of endurance, and that phrase was not only out of scripture but it was for me at that moment i was discouraged i was tired and the lord said to me you have need of endurance so all the discouragement that was coming against me those winds of adversity and and feeling alone and everything that the enemy was trying to do to get me to stop to get me to quit it was during that time i wanted to quit and become a lawyer or quit and become something other than what i was doing and it was amazing that god gave me that word you have need of endurance in other words, hang in there, and you'll see fruit at the end of this. And I did. I did. It wasn't long after that the tide turned, and great breakthroughs started happening uh, where I was. And it was amazing that God gave me that word because it was just the word I needed at the moment. That's what we call a rhema word. He'll put the word in your mind. But I will warn you about this, that the Holy Spirit won't necessarily bring up in your mind what's not there in the first place. The reason that word was so clear and undeniable and so biblical to me when I heard it is because the Bible was the book that I was in day in and day out. Now, that doesn't mean I have to memorize the Bible, and neither do you, but the book is my weapon. The Bible is my weapon. And when God quickens it in the moment for me, that's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
So that's why the Bible is always under attack or neglected or ignored or relegated to the fairy tale section over here. Because Satan knows that if you ever get this in your spirit, his power is disarmed and God's power is activated. So I say to you today, get into the Word of God. Get into it. Because when you're in it and in battle, the Holy Spirit can quicken to you a word that you really will need. And you'll win your battles with that. So it's really important that we understand this. Also, I would add this to it. that In the 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 4, and 5 passage, where it says that we are destroying speculations, pulling down strongholds, taking thought every, captive, uh, every, thought, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, that's where your sword of the Spirit is going to come in handy as well. In both the logo sense and the rhema sense. That when I am tempted, when I have thoughts that are contrary to what God wants for my life, I need to pick up the shield of faith and withstand against those fiery darts or those wrong thoughts. And I also need to pick up the sword of the Spirit and captivate those thoughts and keep them from entering my mind. Truth does that for us. So that's number six. The shield of faith is number four. The helmet of salvation is number five. The sword of the Spirit is number six. And how would I end this podcast other than by saying, just get into the Word of God, have a consistent, regular pattern of reading. If it's just a chapter a day, if you read the Word of God, it's going to become your strength, your sustenance, and your protection in the days ahead. It'll also allow you to activate the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I am so glad that you're joining us for this series of podcasts on the battle, the war, uh, and life is war in general. Uh, this means that we've completed the second of two armor episodes. So we've looked at the overall scale of battle. We've, we've taken some time to look at the enemy and his aim. We've looked at the aim of the saint, of the Christian. And, uh, and then we've looked at some of the, the weapons that we have, the armor that we have. So as we come to our next episode, we're going to get into the practicality of how to use this day in and day out. Thanks for joining us on the Life as War podcast. This is John Matter. looking forward to having you connect with us again.